He is risen. And it is good to be with you, my friends. This church is my home. I've been here since 89 or 90. We've forgotten. Um, and I was very young. I've been far. I've been far and wide. Uh, to college in North Carolina. Spent a couple years in Japan. Uh, lived more or less in Pasadena. But this has always been home. And you are my brothers and sisters. And so, I feel comfortable confessing to you that over the last two, three months, maybe even longer, it's been hard to see any resurrection. Uh, For those of you who are regular attenders here who know this church, you know that we've just been through a lot of death. Um, Marianne Fisher, um, one of the women, one of the women um, and adults who took an interest in me as a high schooler uh, and, and, and put in my heart the desire to, to teach and to serve, she passed away. Uh, Fred Koblenz, a man who was steady when my father uh, was going through some difficult times here leading the church. Fred Koblenz was an arm he could lean on. Fred is gone. Al Eaton, the man who purchased this property um, for us, who also gave wise counsel, uh, was strong and steady in a difficult time, is gone. Charlotte Palmer, who sent me birthday cards when I didn't know who she was, is gone. And I confess to you, brothers and sisters, I look around and sometimes it's hard to see resurrection. Sometimes it looks like death and dying have the last word. And there's a reason for that. And the reason, as we will see in our text today, is that resurrections are hard to recognize. If you have, uh, it's not really a note sheet, it's just the text uh, in front of you. You can either uh, read it here or follow in your note sheet, although I've made uh, a couple of changes um, to the the, uh, New King James translation. If you have it, please stand and let's read about another couple of people who found that resurrections were hard to recognize little longer text, so if you get tired, feel free to sit down. Now behold, two of them, when is this? This is right after the resurrection, and two of the disciples, two of uh, the followers of Jesus, not in the twelve, but uh, some of his main men, or women as it were, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things, which had happened. The triumphal entry, the crucifixion. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself, alive, drew near and went with them. But their eyes were mastered, and they could not recognize him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger, alien, outsider, foreigner in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? 
And Jesus said to him, what things? So he said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our Roman rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our, com- of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they didn't find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, Jesus, they didn't see Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things, and then to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to a village where they were going, and he indicated that he was intending to go further. But they constrained him, saying, Remain, abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. And then, and then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? You may be seated. You've noticed this. If you've been in church at all uh, in in your time, you've noticed there is a very strange thing that happens in some of the resurrection accounts. If I were God and I were going to raise the Son of God, I would make it really, really clear to everyone who he was so that if you walked around like, oh, Jesus is back. But that never happens. That doesn't happen. The resurrection is a little bit strange. Sometimes Jesus has to say your name. And then you recognize him. Mary, he says to Mary Magdalene. And she recognizes him, Master. In this case, he's with Cleopas and his companion. And he's walking next to them. And they look at him. And they don't recognize him. It's a strange situation. I think we can make some sense of it if we recognize that now that Jesus has been through death, and now that he has been raised from the dead, he is now made of different stuff. He's not just normal flesh like us. We read in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 when Paul describes the resurrection body, he says the resurrection body isn't made like normal material, like what we see and touch all the time. It's actually made of heavenly stuff, kingdom stuff. It's made of the material that's appropriate for the kingdom of God for the next age. And that age isn't this age. That age abides by different rules, different parameters. And so it's weird for us. It's strange because we live in this stuff. And he says, get ready, friends. Get ready. Because that's the body you're going to have. But while we're in this body, that kind of stuff, that resurrection stuff, that heavenly stuff is hard to recognize. And so Cleopas and his companion look at the Lord Jesus and they see what? A stranger, an alien, a foreigner. They don't know that this is the man they've been following for weeks and months, possibly years. Their eyes were mastered. Uh, 
They could not recognize him. That word I've translated, it sometimes gets translated held or restrained, but really it means seized, possessed, overcome. It's war language. It's the language of war. If you read in the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, this word krateo gets used over and over again to describe when armies overcome each other, possess each other, master each other. And this is what's happened to Cleopas' eyes. It's been mastered. Some might think, some might think that God has done this. I want to suggest to you that's not the case. The case is, is that Cleopas' eyes have been mastered, have been overcome by this world, this life, this age. I suggest this because we're going to see through this story how it is that Cleopas and his companion come to see. And it's not that God opens their eyes magically. God's in the process. Jesus is in the process. But it's something different that opens their eyes. And moreover, this is a strange word to to predicate of God and the way that God overcomes or masters us. And for these reasons, I suggest that we look at Cleopas and his companion, and I say, there's something wrong with them. These men who have followed Jesus for weeks and months and possibly years, there is something wrong with the way that they see. Their eyes are broken. They, They can't quite get resurrection life. They can't see it. It's hard to recognize. And we have to ask. Okay, I have to ask. What if there's something wrong with my eyes too? I look around me and I see loss of people that I love. I look at my life and it's not what I thought it would be. And I'm having a hard time seeing the resurrection around me. And I'm wondering, maybe my eyes are broken too. Maybe my eyes have been mastered, conquered, possessed. Maybe my eyes have been overtaken by this Orange County in which I live. And what would it take to have them open? You'll notice there's three things that happen to Cleopas and his companion. Three elements on their move from not seeing Jesus, not recognizing the resurrection, to understanding and seeing and grasping hold of it. Three elements in the movement from from confusion and disorder, from death and dying all around, to the risen Lord right in front of him, of them. There are three things. There is the expounding of the scriptures, and we'll talk about that in a moment. There is an invitation for Jesus to come in. That's the second thing. And then there is the breaking of bread. And table fellowship. And when these three elements have come to pass, Cleopas and his companion's eyes are open and they recognize the resurrection. Now you'll notice in, uh, 
in the way that Jesus expounds the scriptures, he starts out pretty mean. Oh, foolish ones, that's not really stupid people. It's more like uh, obtuse or slow to understand. You know, your eyes aren't working. Slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ who have suffered these things to, then to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Moses and the prophets. There's actually two ways in Greek this could be read. It could, I, it could be uh, what we think of as the Old Testament. This could be shorthand. When, when uh, Jesus says Moses and all the prophets, he's really talking about what we think of as the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. He's like, haven't you read this stuff? Alternatively, it could be that he's actually talking about Moses, like Moses is the first sort of prophet of Israel. And then there's a whole bunch of other prophets that come after him. And he's like, and if you just look at their lives, then wouldn't you see what you're supposed to see? There's a problem with the way Cleopas and his companion have understood the Old Testament and have understood the vocation and lives of Moses and all the prophets. And it's jamming up their vision. It's keeping them from understanding resurrection life. If you know the lives of Moses and the prophets, you know something very interesting about them. And that is that they're not pretty. We actually have a text from the, uh, around the first century. It's called the, the Lives of the Prophets. And uh, it, it's not in scripture. It's apocryphal. But it... It does seem as though um, a number of uh, biblical texts seem to sort of trust it. And basically what it does is it gives you sort of a shorthand account of all the lives of the prophets. And what you notice again and again and again is that the prophets live in deprivation, in suffering, in pain, and very often they're martyred. So, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Amos, Zechariah, all great guys. I know you spend a lot of time in reading those books. I do too. Because uh, first off, they're super cheery. There's a lot of... Uh, yeah. It's like, you failed. I'm leaving Israel. You're like, ah, okay. I'm glad I don't live in that covenant. Uh, but what you find out is that they don't talk about it because, like, you know, presumably they're writing these prophecies. After they do, people come along and murder them because they're saying hard things. And yet, and yet, and yet, if you're Israel and you're in the middle of the exile, whose words do you listen to to give you hope, to give you encouragement? To give you a future. Well, it's Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. They said, I'm going to judge you, Israel, but I will not give up on you. Comfort, comfort, oh my people. And so you see this dynamic in Moses and the prophets. They suffer, and you get the benefit, Israel. Their humility, their suffering, often their death, issues in words of life for you. And then you might think, Cleopas, well, if Jesus was a great prophet, what did you expect to have happen to him? And, and, and moreover, Cleopas, if you begin to think in this way, if you begin to read in this way, if you begin to have a cross-shaped vision of life, a cross-shaped vision of scripture, a cross-shaped vision of vocation, then maybe you might notice the following things. There is no liberation before there's slavery in Egypt. There is no return unless there's an exile in Babylon. There is no comfort, O Israel, unless first you have been abandoned. 
There is no healing unless there is illness, and often illness unto death. Cleopas, you have forgotten, you have failed to see that it's always darkest before the dawn. The stories we tell, the stories even we tell about our own history, the most inspiring, powerful messages, the Battle of the Bulge, Midway, Gettysburg, they share a theme in common. It looked like all was lost. There was death and dying all around, and out of that, life grew again. Hope sprang up. Cleophas, I know it's crazy. I know it's wild. But if you start thinking like this, then maybe there's something going on you don't understand. Maybe the dawn is right around the corner and you're caught up in the dark. Now that's one thing. It's the expounding of the scriptures. It's understanding the scriptures in a certain way. It's in fact understanding the whole world in a certain way. The scriptures are our story of the world. And the scriptures time and again say, pain, suffering, death, and loss leads right in to new life. And that's one thing. And when Cleopas and his companion hear that, we we see at the end of the story that their hearts begin to burn in them as they see the scriptures read this way. They begin to think, this, this pattern, how could we have missed it? How could we not have understood the way God operates before? And, and, and at this moment, they're beginning to what? To what? Have, have a new possibility, new hope. There, there's something different going on in the world. Maybe, maybe what we saw isn't the end of all things. This, this conversing and reasoning that they had at the beginning of our, of our, our, our passage, where they were saying, well, yeah, he, he was doing good, but they killed him, so we know it's over. Those are the reasons they're coming up with, and so that's why they're sad. And now that sadness is beginning to break up a little bit. Now they're beginning to see the real way the world is shaped. And they're beginning to think maybe there's hope. There is some kind of possibility. And so what do they do? They, they grab Jesus and they say, he's, Jesus is going to keep going down the road. And they say, wait, 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 wait. Why, why don't you come be with us? Why don't you, why don't you stay with us? Why don't you come in? Why don't you come in? And that's the second thing. Inviting Jesus in. Friends, I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. If you don't open that door and invite Jesus in, it is only death and dying everywhere. There is no lasting hope. There is no meaning. That sense that you have that it's all just over is right. You aren't going to be able to believe that that story about the scriptures, or about the world, that it's, it's, it's death and suffering and pain that leads into new life. You're not going to be able to believe that. There's nothing to prove it. There's nothing to make it alive to you. 
And so you and I must, like Cleopas and his companion, invite Jesus in. That invitation uh, in that culture, it's the invitation of hospitality. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, if you've been with us for the last 18 months, is it? Time to move on to the next book. Uh, If you've been with us in Luke, you've seen time and again, over and over, how hospitality is the marker, the sine qua non, the, 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 the paradigm example of what Jesus' ministry, what Jesus' life is like. Hospitality says... We're at peace, friend. Shalom. I accept you. I'm going to take responsibility for carrying you. I am to you as God is to you. Benefactor, healer, friend, the one who blesses. When you welcome someone in, you are living like Jesus. And Jesus' practices are especially interesting because who do they always target? The outcasts, the strangers, the aliens, the foreigners, the ones on the outside. And Cleopas and his companion, they've been kind of around this Jesus fellow for a while, and they've picked up a few things. Namely, that when you see somebody who's an outsider, who's a stranger, who's a foreigner, give them a hug. You know, let them in. It's okay if they smell a little bad. That's all right. That's going to go away. In fact, if you're worried about them infecting you with their sin or whatever, don't. God's got that under control. And that's sort of the, 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 the life form that Jesus establishes. And then Cleopas and his companion mimic that. Cool true fact. Um, we, we've got these uh, fMRIs. You've seen these things. They're, uh, they're basically, they take a picture of your brain when you're doing stuff, right? Um, and so they, they, they kind of use this as a way to sort of see what uh, parts of your brain are firing and, and lighting up when you do different things. This is what's really interesting. When you ask, uh, they've done some studies on this, and they, they find out that when you ask somebody to believe something, okay, something that they're not sure about, what part of their brain lights up? Things like uh, the part that lights up during social interaction with uh, friends, right? Um, things like uh, how you operate when you're on autopilot. Have you done this? Uh, where you're driving in the car and you're like, what? I got here. How did that happen? Uh, yeah, definitely don't recommend that. That's why I'm very excited about these Google cars when they come out because I tend to just, woo, and it probably doesn't help that I'm listening to music in noise-canceling earbuds, so I literally can't hear the ambulance that's behind me. But, but it really does make it a lot easier for me to just kind of check out. That, that being, of on, uh, of being on autopilot, they call it flow um, in neuroscience circles, that's implicated when you ask someone to believe something that they don't um, already believe. Another thing uh, that comes up is your emotional responses. Your emotions come up um, when you're asked to believe something that you're not sure about. So these things, social interactions, emotional responses and habits, or what you do on autopilot, these are all implicated when someone asks you to believe something new. And what that indicates, what that indicates is the way that you live your social life. The people that you spend time with The things you do when you are on autopilot, your actions, your habits, those things are the things that make it possible or impossible for you to believe. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that part of what it takes for Cleopas to come from I can't recognize resurrection to I do recognize resurrection is that he engages in hospitality and peacemaking, and forgiveness, and friendship. 
That's his go-to modus operandi. His brain is set up like that. And so when the possibility that this, the world is actually shaped, cross-shaped, when that, when that enters into his world, he goes on autopilot. He does what, his, what he always does. And he welcomes, he gives hospitality. And maybe, maybe that makes it a little easier for him to believe that something wonderful, something miraculous has happened. The last thing in this movement from disbelief, from confusion, from no recognition to seeing resurrection life is the breaking of bread and giving it. Some of my best memories of this place growing up don't really happen here in this sanctuary. Some of my best memories are the lunches that we had after we left some of my best memories are uh, just going out and sitting around a table and being with my family. Sometimes we started out not getting along. Sometimes we started out a little bit of friction. But those times, back in the uh, like early 90s, Taco Bell had this thing called the chili cheese burrito. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, I still dream about it sometimes. But we, uh, we would go to Taco Bell for a while. Um, a group of us, Glenn and Kathy and my parents and, and uh, Scott and his brother Jeff, and we would have uh, lunch there after every, uh, after every Sunday service. And have you ever noticed what happens at this church when you eat with us? When the walls come down? When friendship and possibility and discovery becomes real in your life? Sitting around a table and eating together brings peace. Sitting around a table and eating together gives you a preview of resurrection life. All throughout Luke, Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom of God. And what's, what does he say it's like? It's like a party. It's a banquet. Everyone's going to be seated together, eating and laughing. Together at last, for those who've, who've gone home. Isn't it interesting that when they sit and they break bread with Jesus, participating in this ultimate preview of the end, that their eyes are opened and they see resurrection life. Friends, if you're like me, And you've been having a hard time seeing resurrection life. Maybe there's something wrong with your eyes. Maybe the way you see the world is, I don't know, it's dark and it's pointless and everyone's just out for themselves. Maybe that's how you read the world. Maybe you haven't caught on to that pattern That when God wants something done, somebody gets hurt, and new life is born out of that. Maybe you're having a hard time inviting Jesus in. It just seems crazy. He he wants to keep going. He wants to keep going on the road. And you're just hesitating. I I don't know if I want to be seen with this guy. I'm not sure I really understand it, but I know that his followers are crazy. 
And I'm not sure I want to spend any time with him. Friends, now is the day to stop that. Just give him a chance. Say, come in. Live with me a while. Come sit at my table. Sleep in my bed. I'll take care of you. I just want to see what you're about. This is your day. And maybe you're alone and you don't have a practice of being around a table with God's people. I get it. Uh, this, I mean, Aaron knows. Anytime someone invites me to dinner, I'm like, nope. Nope, nope. I'm very comfortable. Uh, I, I, I like uh, I get it from my father. It's his fault, really. I don't want to be like this, but uh, I, I've noticed I've noticed that um, I am very very content to just make a simple quesadilla and sit at my table at my table. Hopefully the kids are asleep or at least quiet and uh, and just and just eat. I'm cool with that. What I also noticed is that when she gets me <laughs> to show up and I spend time with my brothers and sisters the world looks a little different. If your eyes are broken, if you cannot see new life around you, three things, a cross-shaped world and a cross-shaped scriptures, an invitation for Jesus to come in, and then spending time eating and laughing as we will in the kingdom of God. And if you're wondering why this works, it's because in that we see what resurrection life looks like. We see the next life that we're going to be living. We see what heaven is. Heaven is born out of suffering and death and pain because sin has to get dealt with. Heaven is a place of endless invitation, welcome, peace, friendship, and forgiveness. And heaven is a place where God's people gather and enjoy each other and enjoy Him at the highest possible level, in fact, beyond that, for all of eternity. And so what that is, when we do these three things, we're living our heaven life, our future life, our Resurrection life now. And so we're able to see what the world is really like. We're able to get past this veneer, this veil of death. Friends, I confess to you that It's been difficult for me to see. I've confessed to you that my eyes are broken. They're not not right. They're not the way they ought to be. But I also confess to you that when I'm in Scripture and I'm with you, I begin to see the way I ought. And I begin to remember again that the tomb is empty. The grave has been overcome. And that this life is not the end. If you seek resurrection life, 
You are in the right place. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you for overcoming the grave, for sending your spirit to enliven Jesus, bringing him forth in glory, made of your stuff, heavenly stuff. God, let this church be a place that witnesses over and over again the cross shape of the scriptures and of the world. Let us be a place over and over that invites your son to come in and to be with us. Let this be a place where we break bread and enjoy fellowship and peace and forgiveness and in friendship. And God, as we do that, open our eyes. Because sometimes, God, your resurrection is hard to recognize. In your son's name we pray, and in the power of his victory, we confess these things. Amen.